This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego. Providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning. Talking about uh, money, investing, the economy, finance, all these important things to help you grow your net worth. And with me is Chase Wilson. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing well. Yeah, we got a full two hours here to uh, help people improve their financial situation, talk about uh, different companies, stocks, equities, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we do have a lot of different things to go over. Uh, you want to call into the show, phone number is here, 866 577 Two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And as always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And that squeaky noise is the microphone. We we, we got to get oil on these microphones because you're moving like, uh, 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 you know. So, um, well, we'd have to say that uh, it was twenty years ago today that the uh, terrible tragedy of the nine eleven happened. And I just want to kind of talk about that a little bit uh, before we do go into the show. Uh, We will have a normal show today. But uh, it did happen Uh, 20 years ago today. It was a Tuesday and the market was closed. Uh, And I I do remember uh, that day, as I'm sure many people uh, remember that day as well. But I was at the treadmill or I was at the gym on the treadmill. uh, And I'm, you know, they have the TVs there and I'm looking up and like, I don't remember this movie where, uh, you know, planes are going into the, the, the towers. I don't remember that movie. And the reason why you couldn't tell because in the gym they don't have the sound on. So all you can see is, is the video of what's going on. And uh, it was probably about five minutes after that when we're kind of watching it and you're kind of looking at people and all of a sudden the buzz started going around that the country was under attack. And, it, and virtually that's what happened. They attacked us. And it's just something that you'll never forget. And it was just uh, pretty amazing. I kind of remember when I was younger, uh, when President Kennedy got shot. Yeah. I was probably about your age back then. And you knew something happened. You didn't, didn't know what. But my parents never forgot that day. And people my age and even younger will never forget uh, 9-11. As I'm trying to think. I Actually, I do remember. I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. And I was in Mrs. Wine's class. So I, I remember that kind of feeling and you know you don't have a lot of memories right. from that time frame but that day I remember you know sitting in class and we're sitting on the floor talking about how it made us feel and we're like I don't know you don't really know but you know something was wrong right. and then uh, I just remember going home and it was you know just such a terrible thing and, and you just it, I was too young to really comprehend exactly what was happening and and I mean now you look back on it and it, it's just awful what happened and i mean you go to the world trade center in the memorial i went there a couple years ago and it's it's you just get that feeling in your stomach and your gut that's you know it's hard to overcome you know i mean it's it's i know i i think i I was just watching on um 
the TV President Bush is speaking right now about unity and, and kind of mm-hmm. coming together and like we did in 2001 and can't really hear what he's saying on the TV, but it's, you know, it's true. I mean, we are pretty divided right now and, and as hard as 9-11 was, it is something that really brought our country together and I think we need to remember at those tough times and uh, hopefully we can come together. Yeah, and and, and, it, and it was something that uh, did bring the country together. It is kind of a shame now how we are divided, but uh, th- that it takes something that tragic to bring the country together. But, um, you know, remembering I know now, I believe it's going on right now where all the people that lost people are down in uh, lower Manhattan uh, reading out the names and so forth. But it's just something that um, really kind of brings uh, to light what's really important sometimes. And uh, what we're going to do is kind of just talk about the market a little bit before we go into our normal uh, commentary that we do, but uh, the market was closed uh, on Tuesday, and it uh, reopened the following Monday. Uh, six days later, dropping 684 points, losing 14.3 percent for the week. Uh, the S and P fell about 11.6 percent. Nasdaq was down 16.1 percent. And then uh, the Dow closed at 9,605 on Monday, September 10th. On December 11th, it did climb back to 9,888. I'll just kind of make a quick comment on that. That's you know quite lower than where we are today. So yeah. I mean, we've we've of course overcome a lot of the the difficulties we've seen, and and that's something we we always talk about. That's one thing that remains true in this country is we've been through so many different things, but we're we're always able to kind of overcome and battle back. And you know whether it's business related or, or kind of politically related, life related, you know we we overcome things in this country. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and it was a terrible attack on America, but Americans have shown strength and resilience. And, and, and we got to talk about the value of American businesses, how they rebounded quickly. And again, you mentioned how we're now up, gosh, what, three times what it was back then. Um, and, and, and it does show, and I remember seeing pictures, or, or actually I think I saw it recently too, uh, George Bush says, we will respond um, and, and will not let this get to us. And, and again, that's... It, kind of put it in perspective we talk about you know all the things we go through here in the market and so forth and how we come back and and so forth uh we do have our problems in the country but americans do always come back find ways to get around it and and do it and, and that's why you know investing uh is i don't say a privilege here in the country but there's a lot of countries around the world that don't have this i mean you you know pretty much when you invest in a stock you you're gonna get those shares. Now you you may make a poor decision on what shares you're buying, but you are gonna get those shares. And and it's it's just to realize what we you know fight for. And and uh, we we did a thing uh, what a couple of weeks ago sheltered a soldier for soldiers, and mm-hmm. uh, we just did that post. I think it's gonna be posted this weekend about the number of soldiers that actually come back and commit suicide because of of can't adjust back to our society. Uh, these are things we fight for, and and you really got to realize how. Uh, honored we should be and how lucky we are to to be able to invest and, and do these things and not have the government come in and just take your money away from you. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. And I was going to say one more thing about uh, the 9-11 thing too that, that just blew my mind. Um, you know, on uh, Fox Business, you know, they're actually showing clips of, you know, kind of the streets and just seeing that mm-hmm. debris and the cloud of smoke just overcoming people like they're sprinting down. The, I mean, it, it was, it, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you think about how big those buildings were, and and you don't remember you were actually in those buildings before. Yeah. Uh, but it was just a. I remember we have huge, a picture. Yeah, we have a picture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 how tall they were, and to just imagine that coming down, the amount of iron, concrete, uh, you know, all these things just 
well, that, that's why you saw those those smoke. And I know what you're talking about running people running down the street and these huge clouds of smoke kind of chasing them from the decline of the building. So it's uh, something got to remember and and uh, hopefully learn by. But uh, again, 20 years ago today, uh, and I don't think there's one. Well, very few people I think today don't know what 9/11 is 20 years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's just important, of course, you know, take the time to remember those people and, you know, remember the people that, you know, unselfishly like went in and, and gave their lives to try and, you know, save the lives of others. And I mean, it, it's, you know, gets you kind of thinking about how awesome people can be and how sel- selfless people can be. And, um, you know, just really marks the true character of a lot of people. That's true. Well, let's, let's move on to uh, talk about uh, investing here. And somehow we are already in September. And for the markets, it, it is usually a bad month. Since 1928, it has averaged a loss of 1%. But the news is not all bad. Yeah, in fact, if the, the market was up more than 13% over the first six months, and, and we did see that occur this year, uh, then September has an average gain of 1.4%. Uh, now, we recommend never timing the market, but it's nice to know what type of ride you may be in for going forward and not to panic and jump ship if things head south. I mean, if things do go south from here, and we have seen a, a few losing days here now as there's been some worries about Delta variant, there's been mm-hmm. some worries about inflation, and oh my gosh, it's going to take the market down. We just sit there and look at it and... <laughs> <laughs> Side note here, we, we bought a company this this week, mm-hmm. and they got downgraded because, oh, there's no short-term upside. Right. Stock fell like 3%. No short, I didn't buy it for the short, short term. term. I don't care. I know. It, yeah. It's just crazy how yeah. things can trade in the short term. And, and we won't release the company that we bought for our clients, but it was a, a very good business, and it was down, uh, what, probably 20, 30%, I think it's down from the from the high. And so, and we saw it as a great business and, and I think we paid about nine and a half times earnings for this business that, uh, is one that, uh, we like and uh, a growth business, which, uh, is, is growing. So we're, we're very excited about it, but, but do want to kind of point out the fact that what happens that you can't always be right short term. And when you look at what happened to them, and again, just because I think it was bank of America is the one yeah. that actually downgraded them. It's just like, well, that's a silly thing to do, but that is part of the investing horizon now. I mean, everybody's so focused on the short term and so focused on what's going to happen tomorrow and today. And, you know, and that's not a good way to invest. And I've, I've been doing this now for 40 years and people are amazed at like, wow, you know, gosh, we, we, we did well over the last 20, 25 years. Um, yeah, you, you do well long term, but I, I know there's no doubt in my mind that over those 20, 25 years, there was definitely bad weeks, bad months, bad quarters, even bad years. I mean, that's going to happen when you invest, but you got to buy based on quality. So it's something that uh, we are talking about September just to kind of prepare you that, yeah, there could be a pullback. And it's kind of like when you get in a plane. You, you know there could be turbulence. And if there is, you don't jump out. You, like, ride through it. Yeah. And the same thing with the market. You know there's going to be turbulence, so just ride through it. Well, and I, I will say that, you know, I – Watch kind of what's going on in the morning. You just kind of mm-hmm. get an idea of what's happening in the market, the economy, things like that. And it's so interesting. There's this battle right now, I'm going to say, between, and it's kind of an internal battle for myself as well. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see a 10% correction? On one side, I see inflation is very prevalent. I think that could really take down the market. 
on the other side, there is so much freaking cash in the economy right now that it, it seems like things go down about four or five per, oh buying opportunity and mm-hmm. it, it creates this floor in the market and part of me thinks i don't know if we're going to have a true correction of 10 percent through the rest of this year just because there's so much cash out there that and so much i'm going to say inexperience out there that people think oh microsoft's down five percent well it's going to go to 400 so i better buy it now, now. <laughs> and it, it's it's creating, I think, this chaos and this, this I'm going to say again, this floor in the market that almost stops the correction from occurring. And I think that's unhealthy for longer term investors, which is why people need to be patient and make sure you're buying the right companies. Right. And and, and that's the thing. And you, you point out the inexperienced investors because they just think things just going up all the time. And eventually that's not going to happen. And then you're going to have a bigger decline. That's why these corrections are good to have periodically because then they're not as large. But if it keeps building higher and higher and things become even more uh, out of whack as far as valuations go, the decline will be bigger. But the thing that we're looking at, it, and it's still the same case, about uh, 24, 25% of the S&P 500 still based on about five companies. And if those five companies just take a, which is not a, a normal, I mean, uh, Apple's one of those companies. There was a time, I remember that Apple fell about 30%. Well, can you imagine that happened now to all those companies? I mean, the S&P would fall. Probably thirty yeah. percent. So, uh, but there would be, I believe, there would be some companies that would go down temporarily, but come up much quicker because there's still pretty good values there. Well, and the thing that I, I've been hearing a lot on, uh, kind of other commentators say, is the term "melt up." Yeah, and it's it's what we saw during the tech boom. And the thing that concerns me, and being a value investor, if we do have a melt up type scenario, is you could see the S&P 500 climb, let's say, another 15, 20% perhaps. Mm-hmm. And these are just kind of numbers I'm using to illustrate a point. It climbs 15 to 20%. But if you're investing in good quality companies, and we're still being very patient, our companies might only go up 10%. Right. Because there's so much craziness that occurs. But the problem is that higher and higher the S&P goes, oh, it's so great, it's so great. I do worry that is where you're going to, you could see a drop of then 20, 25, 30% in the S&P 500. And then the people that were patient, they don't have that same drop. They did the value investing. They don't have that same drop. I think we could be in a situation similar again to the tech boom and bust where you have this huge melt up. And I think we're in the middle of the melt up. I don't think it's going to happen here shortly. Uh, It's, you know, hasn't started yet. I mean, we've already seen this huge, huge run up. I think it could go higher. Be patient because the higher it goes, the crazier it gets, and I think the bigger the fall. Right. And also what I look at, too, is this term melt up is a phony term yeah. because nothing can melt up. And and so that's what I think is the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's not a good thing. Now, a build up would be nice, but you're not having that. You're having this melt up, which is just not sustainable, and that's what people have to be careful of. And people, and I've been, oh, you, you're too conservative. You don't get it and so forth. And that's okay, fine. Uh, but I'm still not going to run out and buy the high-tech companies that are trading at these lofty levels. It, throughout history, history, it's never been able to sustain that. So uh, I do want to move on, but it's just kind of crazy in September. Go, go Sorry, ahead. One, more, one more comment. I, I do think it is funny as, uh, again, another commentator is like, everyone owns the big tech companies. Not us. <laughs> no, not us. And And actually, that's a problem. Yeah. When everyone owns it. Who is left to buy? It? Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I learned a long time ago. Like, yeah. Well, well, wait a minute. If everybody owns it, and 
it has no place to go but my house, <laughs> so, you know so and and that will change uh with people not buying them but um let, let's talk about uh, bond investors they kind of kind of watch out i mean famous bond investor bill gross also known as the bond king said treasuries belong in the garbage and intermediate to long-term bond funds are trash uh, we have point out many times the inverse correlation between interest rates and bond prices. We do believe interest rates will rise, which will put bond investors in a bind as prices decline. I would not be surprised if cash outperforms bonds over the next three years, maybe even five years or longer. Yeah, and and I, I just got to reemphasize that because I think a lot of people miss that point. I can't be in. I, I just can't be in cash. Put me in something. Yeah. I do believe cash is a better investment than bonds. I, I but, but but Chase, people say, yeah, but I'm only going to earn 0.1%. How can that be better? Because you have no fluctuation like you right. do in a bond where, hey, great, you can get 1.3% one in, in a bond. That's awesome, right? You're, you're getting something. But the problem is you still have price volatility or price risk, interest rate sensitivity risk. So as interest rates go up, bond prices go down, you could have a negative returning asset or with cash you don't have a negative returning asset and you know the three to five year period i think is a, a sound estimate in terms of cash outperforming bonds but the other thing i want to point out is for those in a target date fund these oh, have become yeah. so popular you may want to reconsider that as an investment as what actually happened with those target date funds is they can be big holders of bonds if you're in a let's say 2025 target date fund you're probably going to have, I'm going to guess, close to 40, 50% in well, bonds. 2025, probably not that. That's only now, seems funny, but only about three years away now. Yeah. So that could be, I'm going to say, maybe 20% in bonds. I'm, we're we're kind of guessing here. That yeah. Actually look, I'm more concerned about the people that say, well, you know, I'm going to retire in 30 or 2035. So therefore, I'm going to put my money to that. Those are the ones I think could have much higher bonds. Uh, uh, well, no, 2025 actually, has no. Actually, bonds. I've got it reversed, don't I? Yeah. I'm, I got it reversed. I'm talking backwards. I'm thinking the stock side. So yeah. you, you, you're right. 2025 are the ones that are more risk because as they get close to retirement, they do the silly thing of putting it in in bonds. So I'm I'm really out of whack. No, so you so you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and and I do. I I, I took a look at a um a friend's 401k the other day, and he's like, yeah, I just did the target date because that's what they told me to do. It's an easy thing to do, and, and that's kind of what brokers do that do the four. Uh, yeah, just do the target date fund. I'm sorry. What are you doing? Right. Like, why why are these companies paying these advisors to advise people to put money in a target date fund? I I think anybody could do that. Right. I, I, it just, anyways, that's an, a, an aside there. But the thing is, I, I was looking at his target date fund, and he's about thirty, and about ten percent of the money was in bonds. And okay, so like, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I, I said. Dude, we need to get you out of this target date fund. That is terrible. We don't want to be in the target date fund. You want nothing in bonds. Right. I, it, it just blew my mind. So and if you're in target probably fund, in target be date, careful. What, probably 2040 or something. I think it's like 2040, 2050, yeah. somewhere yeah. along those lines. And, and people have to realize that, and again, I hope it didn't confuse people, as the target date fund is closer to you, uh, to your day. And, and again, the 20. 25, the 2030s and so forth, you will have more in bonds because it tries to be more conservative uh, and it can't look at, well, wait a minute, if rates are low, they're going to go up, that's going to hurt. They don't do that. They just say, oh, no, this is what we do. So th this is why I say the rule of thumbs and so forth just don't make any sense because you've got to understand what's going on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and and one reason we are concerned about interest rates is the Fed starting to taper its bond purchases. As the Fed steps back from buying bonds, who's going to take their place? I mean, Bill Gross pointed out here that he believes the Fed will end the program next year, and they've already stopped, talked about starting the taper this year, that it will leave 600 to $700 billion worth of bonds to be bought by other investors besides the Fed. And in fact, a recent study from the Institute of International Finance points out that 60% of new treasuries issued over the past year were bought through the Fed's quantitative easing program. That's more than half of the bonds that were being issued. And I don't know about you, but a 1.3% yield just Ah, that's not going to entice me into the bond market. I don't think it entice many people, and 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 that's where and we. I'm still sticking to my projection. By the end of the year, I think we could see the ten-year treasury around two percent. But think about uh, next year in 2022, two and a half, maybe three percent. Uh, the economy can still function with that. But the reason why I say those numbers is even if the Fed keeps short-term rates down, the only way to get people to buy those bonds, if if the Fed's no longer buying them, is to entice them with higher rates. Yeah. And, and so the, the market forces, no matter what the Fed does with short-term rates, well, we're not going to increase rates. If you now have to offer your bonds out there to be purchased, if the market says, no, we're not going to pay 1.3%, you've got to raise the yield. So that's how rates will rise. And that's a great point because the Fed could say, well, we're not going to increase rates just yet. The Fed funds rate is different than the 10-year mm-hmm. note. So you're right. If nobody's out there buying the bonds, it's going to have to have some type of allure to them, which is going to be higher interest rates, which hurts those current bondholders. I did want to say I was right. Uh, 2025, about 41% in bonds. And that 2050 fund, and this is the Vanguard Target Retirement Fund, 2015, 10% in bonds. 10%, yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you pointed out because I thought it was higher in bonds. So at 20, so that's about three years, three and a half years away, you're going to have about half your money in bonds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's just such a shame. And people think, oh, but they're so safe. Uh, they are not. And, and we actually talk about our workshop, which I'll bring up the workshop again. We, we go over this in the workshop, uh, which I'll announce it after. Well, it, it is going to be September 23rd. Uh, make sure you go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com to sign up for that. But we do talk about bonds uh, in that and show people. And I think it's amazing. They do not realize how much you can lose on a bond with a 1% increase in interest rates. Um, just amazing. I'm going to tell people. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this was based kind of well, a little well, earlier. They'll still come to the workshop, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not the only reason to come. But uh, this is based off interest rates around one percent. Yeah. But if you get a one percent rise in interest rates, you lose about, I think it's eight point three percent on that bond. And yep. again, yep. we say, well, that's if rates go up one percent. Right. Now, I think longer term, the ten-year note around three, three and a half percent, very manageable. Mm-hmm. So now you're talking about a two percent climb in interest rates. Wow. Now, all of a sudden, you're down probably about 15%, somewhere in that range, I would say, in terms of a 2% climb in interest rates. So, I mean, that that's not very safe, in my opinion. Yeah, and you didn't point it out, but you're talking about a 10-year treasury, yeah. a very safe bond. It's not like we're talking about some high-yield crazy ones. No, we're talking about a very safe 10-year treasury. Rates go up 1%. You're going to lose about 8 to 9% of your principal. And just think about that. So you paid for that bond. You're getting 1.3%. You've lost, make it easy, 9%. How many years is going to take just to break even? And that's the hopes that rates never rise again. Well, and here's what people say, though. They say, well, yeah, but if I wait 10 years, I get my money back so I don't lose anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if we're having an inflation of 4%, you actually just lost about 3% of your money per year by sitting in that bond right. for 10 years. And so. what did uh, 
PPI come out yesterday? Uh, eight point three was it? Eight point three percent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we can talk more about that if we get time uh, today. I, I do want to mention because the unemployment benefits uh, uh, may have ended early this week, but there is definitely no shortage of jobs openings. And the jobs report, we saw a new record, again, another new record of 10.93 million job openings. This does mark the fifth consecutive record level, as we saw major growth from last level of 10.19 million openings. And a report that easily topped the expectation of 10 million available jobs. People thought uh, job openings were going to slow down. Nope, they accelerated quite heavily. (laughs) And again, with about 5 million jobs still missing from where we were at at the beginning of 2020, I put missing here in in, uh, quotations just because it's, you know, they're not really missing. (laughs) But, you know, we we have about uh, 5 million, we're 5 million short in terms of where we were at at the beginning of 2020. I am expecting employment gains to remain strong through the beginning of next year and job openings to decline as those jobs become filled. Now, I I do think the next JOLTS report will still be quite strong because it lags by about a month. Mm-hmm. But I think the following one, you're going to start to see a slowdown in those, or actually not even a slowdown, I think you're going to start to see a decline in those job openings as the unemployment benefits end, kids are back to, well, not as they end, as the unemployment benefits have ended, kids have gone back to school, mm-hmm. I think the Delta variant slows down and really stops to kind of create that that chaos for some people, vaccination rates continue to improve, I wouldn't be surprised to see employment remain very, very strong, and again, the the job openings decline. That's not a negative by any means if job no. openings decline. Right, right. Yeah. And, and it is a positive. We will see. I'm pretty confident that if you're not getting extra money from the government, you kind of look and say, okay, well, I can stay home and uh, maybe make the equivalent of $10 an hour or I can go to work and make $15 an hour. Hmm, that's 50% more. I think some people will want to do that. There'll still be some like, nope, I'm still going to stay home, but not as many. Well, I, I, I found an interesting study from J.P. Morgan about 48% of people on unemployment benefits are making the same or more as they were at their previous job. That includes the extra from the federal or yeah. government. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I got called by uh, Cheddar, you know, a news mm-hmm. company, and then I got called by Fox 5 to talk about the unemployment benefits ending. And I said, the unemployment benefits ending certainly doesn't hurt no. people getting going back to work. It's not going to like... Oh, we're gonna have a decline in the jobs, <laughs> you know. And, and uh, I think Goldman actually had a good stat on it. They they think it'll actually add an increase on top of what normal expectations would have been about 1.5 million jobs coming back. So again, you talk about about 1.5 million from that five million we're missing now, and about three and a half million. Also, too, about 1.7 million more people retire mm-hmm. than anticipated. Now, I say you're at three and a half. Now you're at about uh, 1.8 million jobs differential. So right. it's we're not that far off and kind of start to look at the numbers in terms of where we're at pre-pandemic. Yeah, and, and it's such an important thing to realize. And, and again, having a job is a good thing. I mean, it keeps our economy going. I mean, you cannot drive down the street anymore without seeing in the window uh, help wanted. You know, I mean, it, it's there. So I think we'll see less of that maybe six months from now, which is a good thing because people are back to working, producing, and, and, and so forth. You just can't sit around, play video games all day, and collect from the government. It just doesn't work out very well. Uh, all right, phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. I look over, all lines are open, 866-577-2473. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, for no opinion about what you want to talk about when it comes to investing. So give us a call again, 866-577-2473. And I did tease a little bit with the uh, workshop coming up on uh, Thursday evening, September 23rd. 
uh, we'll be holding a workshop in Scripps Ranch. Now, I've been in the finance world for over 40 years. And I've seen eh, quite a few different things here that we can share with you. Tons of information about investing. We will be discussing the question I hear a lot lately. Do I think there's a correction coming? How important is compounding for investors? We will also give our thoughts on the current inflationary environment. And we'll also go over in detail what all the numbers mean and which ones to be concerned about. It is a free workshop. Seating is limited. To register, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Uh, still talk to Brianna. She'll get you signed up. And I look forward to seeing you on September 23rd in Scripps Ranch at the Smart Investing Workshop. And Jay's been doing these now for over 20 years. And I've never, ever had one person come up and said, I'm not learning. I didn't learn anything. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we try to do a good job of educating yeah. people about different ways that, I don't even say different ways, about the way that we invest yeah. and, and why we invest that way. And, and, and again, we invest in this way because it's worked for 100, 100 years. Uh, probably over 100 years now. Uh, and it's not a flash in the pan. We're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make you a millionaire next week. No, we're talking about earning decent returns by doing the right thing when it comes to investing, uh, actually based on our accounting and finance background uh, that we have and just how you buy businesses. Uh, and, and that's what people get confused. The market is nothing more than a place to go buy a small piece of a large business. And if you're going to go out and buy a local small business, you want to make sure that you're not overpaying for the earnings. You're not buying a bunch of debt. Uh, the company has cash flow. These are all things you look at uh, when you buy a business. And that's the same thing we do with public companies. So, Well, you kind of brought up PPI. I don't know if you want to talk yeah. about that. I, I got some numbers pulled up here yeah, on it. Yeah, because I, th I, I believe PPI, which is Producer Price Index, uh, which is at the producer level. It used to be the, called the wholesale number. Yeah. Uh, now it's producer level. So it's what uh, the producers are, are doing. And I think it, did it come in at 8.3 or was it 8.8? 8.3%. 8.3%. Yeah. That's an increase. Yeah. A year over year. <laughs> that's huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, it's record. It's a record. That's a record. We've ever seen. Record. Really? Yep. Never wow. seen a higher PPI than 8.3%. It does go back to 2010, though. This is a newer okay. kind of survey or right. a newer index. But, I, I mean, we keep talking about the reason I'm concerned about inflation is because you start to see these these kinks in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And if the producers are seeing their costs increase by 8.3%, i said this before, they're not going to just sit here and say, oh, that sucks. No. <laughs> they're going to have to increase their prices. And as a, listening to one of our food companies on the way over here, their, their conference call. And they talk about the same thing. Well, our inputs costs are up about $2 billion. So yeah, we're, we're having to take price increasing measures to offset those current prices. And I, I do see here, it is kind of starting to come through because this also, they service food service restaurants. Mm -hmm. So if that's kind of part of the PPI, because the food service companies are paying this company higher prices. And you see here, there was actually an 8.5% surge in meat prices for those restaurants, which is coming from our food company. But it's also on the bottom end it, that should impact CPI because the food companies oh, yeah. are passing that to the consumers on that end. But they're saying our grain prices are just going through the roof. Our labor prices, we can't get people to work. You hear that across all industries. We can't get people yeah. to work. The transportation costs because energy is so expensive. Right. I don't know what these companies are supposed to do other than increase prices. And I'm not going to bring it up. It just irritates the heck out of me that the current administration says it is so wrong that these food companies are increasing yeah. prices right now. Well, maybe if we had more reasonable 
transportation costs. We didn't have these kinks here in the supply chain. Then we wouldn't have to increase price. They're not increasing price because, well, we want to drive up margins by 16%. (laughs) No, they're they're trying to stabilize their margins. And and, and we talked about this, gosh, back when the administration uh, did this and, and, uh, but when they when they cut the pipelines, it's like we knew what was going to happen. You cut supply, uh, demand's not going to change, prices have to go up, and we knew that this was going to be passed on down the road. And now here it is, uh, September, and it's starting to happen to where everything is up, and you cannot, you know, put people on unemployment, pay them more. And I know what the the idea was. Well, if we put them on unemployment, we give them more. For people to have them come to work, they got to pay them more. And that's what they're trying to do is raise their wages. Okay, so that's happening. But that doesn't mean that the company is going to absorb that difference. They have to pass that on because they are in business to make a profit. Shareholders are there to make money to make a profit. That's what everybody wants. So if your costs go up, you've got to pass that on. Same thing with energy. We knew energy is going to go up. I mean, gosh, I I, I remember paying, uh, what, uh, less than $3 a gallon for gas. Now you're lucky if you find it less than $4 a gallon for gas. But as a as a consumer, that's my cost. But if you're a, like a, a food company and you got to transport your product to all these different markets and everything else, that's a cost for you. And not to mention, not only the, the cost of the energy for the transportation costs, but it's not just the food companies that are struggling to find people to work. It's the transportation companies That's that right. are struggling to find people to work. So then there's a limited supply of transportation. So companies have to bid against each other to get those trucks right. to actually move the product. Right. And, and and one complaint I do have about the, the government, well, <laughs> there's other ones, but, but the main one is, is I believe in a free market. Let the market set the value and even of the cost of labor. Um, and the government artificially pushed it up by saying, we're going to pay you extra unemployment because there were jobs months ago, but they still kept paying that high number. And I, I do believe, and that's not been said, that's not been said, but I do believe they were doing that because they want to get people paid more. Okay. So now you've increased the labor costs, but that is going to be inflationary. Uh, and, and, and that's what we're in now is an inflationary environment, which is not again, good for interest rates. Interest rates have, will now go up, which is going to hurt a lot of bond investors. I mean, I, I, sometimes I don't know, and 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 there is. And we'll, we'll bring his name up because he's the mayor of Coronado, Richard Bailey. He knows about economics. He understands that, and he's running for Congress. He's he's going to be great in Congress. But how many people? How many politicians understand economics, finance? I don't think a lot of them do. Like, oh, let's let's get people raises. They don't they don't understand how the economy works. What all flows together? It's not just kind of oh. It just happened because, no, there's always inputs to the equation. Now, those inputs are always changing, which changes the outputs. But, I mean, there is going to be these flows that that happen. And it doesn't mean that you're going to see, you know, inflation spike tomorrow, but we have seen it spike now. I mean, these are things that were occurring several months ago that is now leading to inflation today. Right. That's the root cause of it. it. It's not something that happened yesterday that caused inflation to happen today. Yeah, and we've been we've been warning about inflation and rising interest rates for for a couple of years now. Yeah, but now we're starting to finally see it, and we knew it was going to happen a couple of years ago because and you're going to have that. But we really knew it was going to happen when we saw what the administration was doing by cutting off the oil. Uh, that was kind of the start of it, and it also they they kind of cut off the labor supply as well. Yeah. By paying people more to stay at home, you you change the labor situation. So you, you've got to let markets do what they want to do. Because if you don't, and I remember this when I took economics, gosh, uh, I hate to say this, what, over 40 years ago? 
I still remember about, and they gave us this model to work on. And if you tried to mess with this, like, okay, well, let's bring this down, you affected two or three other yeah. factors. And that's why the government should not be trying to do so much here by, well, again, cutting down the oil supply, trying to trying to force people to go, go to electric cars. That's going to happen. People will do that naturally. When you try to push the, you know, through that hole, it, 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 you cause problems. This is completely not related. Well, kind of so related to what you just said. but We, we got no calls. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but I do kind of want to wrap that up on the inflation front that I, I, I just – I think we're going to see sustained inflation. I mean, there, there's no way that we don't, unless we fix the supply chain, unless we fix the labor shortage, unless we're able to kind of stabilize energy prices, all those things are an inflationary type event. So I, I think you got to be cognizant of that. What I was going to say was I was reading a conference call of another one of our companies, and they do renewable diesel. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't understand at times this big, big push to electric cars. Is, that's the only way to be green is electric cars. But, well, that's what they think. The, yeah, that, right. that's what they say. But the company that we have that does renewable diesel said actually by the time you take all the inputs to actually make the electric car, our renewable diesel uh, solution is actually far more green mm-hmm. than electric cars. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I, I just don't understand why there's this big, big push – towards electric cars when there are other viable solutions out there. Right. And I was going to comment too when you when you said about, you know, the inflation and so forth, what you got to look at will what's going to reverse that? What would reverse it is not going to happen. You you're not you're not going to reverse the labor costs because now people aren't going to work for 16, 17 dollars an hour like, "Oh, okay, I'll take a pay cut down to 2 or 3." That's not going to happen. I I I unfortunately and this could happen, uh they could say, "Gee, we made a mistake." Let's reopen the pipelines for, for a few years until the, the, the demand goes down. I don't see that happening either. So there's nothing that I can see that is going to reverse inflation back down. And that's why I still, and I, I do believe also the, the Reserve, Federal Reserve, has kind of backed off into being transitory a little bit. Yeah. Have you kind of got that feeling as well? I, I feel like they haven't, before it was transitory. Trans, like if you read the script, like right. it, it's a lot more prevalent now. It's, it, it's still in there, but it doesn't seem like it's the, the same push that it was before. Yeah, it's like they're trying to back out of it like, oh, uh, maybe we're wrong here. And I, and I we said, I don't see how it can be transitory because, and I don't know why they even said that. I mean, they, those are pretty smart guys, but you knew that oil prices are not going to come back down. Well, but the thing is, it doesn't necessarily have to come back down for it to stop inflation because inflation compares year over to year. So as long as we stabilize. If everything right. were to remain constant where it is today, we'd have 0% inflation next year. But it takes time for it to come on through. And, and that's because thing. companies can't just, right. They're not, they're not going to, um, like, like the, I'm going to use the food company again. They said, well, we haven't completely offset the cost of our input inflation yet. There's still more price increases to come. Right. Right. And, and that can take months, many months to, to actually get on through. So, so I think, you know, just because they've stabilized, they seem to have kind of stabilized a little bit. They, yeah. They've gone up a little bit, it seems. I mean, oil's around $70 a barrel. Um, but it, it still takes time for that to come on through. Because initially, I mean, the companies, they were saying like, okay, we're, we're trying not to raise prices. But you can do that for a month or two. But as time goes on, six months, nine months, 12 months, you've got to raise prices. 
And that's why I think we're going to see rising prices probably for at least another year, even if energy stabilizes, even if the labor market stabilizes, we'll see these costs being passed on through because then businesses will say, hey, I, 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 can't, I can't function off a 1% profit margin. I need to make a three to five percent profit margin to stay in business. Oh, or else why I'm in business. Well, and also too is if you look at different areas that increase. So maybe what happens is you have you know a few companies increase their prices this year. So mm-hmm. that was a huge hit to inflation. But next year they don't increase prices. They don't need to. They feel like they're in a good spot. But now there's this whole other co- cohort of companies that need to increase prices. Well, now that's going to add to inflation. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't mean that. All companies need to increase prices at the same time, and that's why I think you'll see sustained inflation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, correct me if you disagree, I don't think we'll see an 8% PPI next year on top of this year's 8% PPI. Yeah, I yeah. think it's probably going to be around, you know, it could be about 3 4%. Right. I think that's going to be the inflation rates that we'll see. You won't see 6 7 8%. No. I mean, that, that seems to be a little bit high to be reoccurring. And if we... I'll say this, if we don't fix the labor shortage, if we don't fix the transportation issues, yeah, that's going to create some problems. Right, right. But I think that that 3 4%, that's where I think the sustained inflation rate right. will be. But but keep in mind, too, is that that 3 to 4%, it's still higher than what we've had in the past. Oh, yeah. And also that's 3 4% on top of the 8%, 9% yeah, this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so when you look back two years from then, like, well, gosh, I was paying, I don't know, a loaf of bread cost, $2 a loaf of bread, now I'm paying two twenty five. I mean, that's a you know, what I have twelve and a half percent increase, which is is how you kind of compound. Yeah. It's it's bad compounding. We like compounding on investments, not compounding on inflation. So, all right, uh, I looked over. Gosh, eight twenty. I, I did so. We had Art in San Diego. Art, uh, stay with us there. Phone numbers to call in for your unbiased, no strings attached uh, question. Eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven. 2473, but time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Hey, guys. Doing well. Calling you from San Luis Obispo today. What's going on up in San Luis Obispo? Well, right now it's a little foggy. It's a little bit overcast, but um, I'm up here. My girlfriend's family is up here, and uh, her sister has a water polo match today, so that's that's why we're up here today. I was supposed to go and hang out with Chase in the barbecue, but here I am in San Luis Obispo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, today we're talking about, uh, and again, I'm glad that you're still working here with us today, but uh, talking about uh, what to do with your annuity. That's that's a big question because I think people are realizing like, oh, shouldn't have got this annuity. What do I do with it now? Yeah, and that's, that's really what it is. I, I'm sure there's people out there listening who have purchased them. Um, this is something that comes across with me fairly frequently, um, and I wanted to bring it up because I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who fully understands how the annuity that they purchased works. So I kind of want to explain what to look at and what options that you might have. So, <laughs> well, um, real actually, quick, Jason. How can they understand the annuity? The contracts are like 100 pages, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the contract's long, and a lot of times the people that sell them don't fully understand them either. So uh, you're really fighting an uphill battle there. Um, I actually talked to a lady last week who had an annuity, and she didn't know she could annuitize it, which in some cases is the purpose of having an annuity. So there's a lot of uh, lacking information out there, which is why I wanted to talk about it today. but with an annuity, there are basically two main stages. There's a growth phase, also called an accumulation phase. And then there's an income phase, also called an annuitization phase. So basically, you buy this thing, it grows to some extent. And then after a certain point, you start collecting income from that. When you collect the income, you basically give the insurance company 
whatever account balance the annuity has grown to. So you no longer have that anymore at all. You only have the income for whatever term that you get. It could be for your life, for you and your spouse's wife for a certain period of time. There's a lot of different income options. But once you do that and make that decision, there's really not much you can change. You get the income for the term and then that's it. What I'm talking about more today is what to do in the growth phase, which is where I see most people. They have this thing, it's growing, um, and they're wondering, should I get out of it? Should I keep it? Should I change it? And so I want to talk about some of those things. Um, the first thing you need to look at is, is this annuity qualified or non-qualified? So qualified means, is it in an IRA? That's important because if you do decide to surrender it, you can surrender it um, and then roll it over into an IRA and there's no taxes on it. If it's non-qualified and you try to do that, then all of the growth you've made, all of the gain is taxable. And not only that, but annuities and life insurance are not subject to capital gain rates. They are subject to ordinary income rates just by nature because they're products. Um, so that's something to be careful of. So qualified or non-qualified, then does it make sense to surrender? Sometimes some of these things have really long surrender charges. I've seen 17-year surrender charges on where you know, you've bought this thing and then you can't really get out of it because if you do, you have to pay all these penalties to get out of it. Uh, so you have to be careful of that. Most annuities have a provision where you can withdraw 10% of the account balance surrender penalty free, even if you do have a surrender charge. So that might be an option. Um, the next thing is maybe a 1035 exchange would make sense. Uh, a lot of people know about 1031 exchanges that has to do with real estate, but a 1035 exchange basically takes the cash value or account balance of a life insurance policy or annuity product and then moves that to a different one, maybe performing better. Um, so maybe if your annuity is really bad, maybe it makes sense to get a different one. That's usually not the case, but it might be for some people out there. Um, another option would be to adjust your investment allocation. So if you have a variable annuity or a fixed indexed annuity and it's not performing that well, well, you might have to look at what it's actually invested in. I, I see people quite a lot that buy these fixed index annuities. Those seem to be somewhat popular. And then we look at what they're invested in. And it's just a fixed account growing at 2% a year or something like that. So, you know, even if the market does well, you're not going to do well. So you have to be careful of what the underlying investment of that annuity actually is. Um, in some cases, <clears throat> it makes sense to keep the annuity. This, this can be common when you have an income rider on that annuity. And with an income rider, um, it's almost like you have two completely separate accounts within one annuity. On the one side, you have the account balance that grows over time, generally not as well. And then on the second account, you have this income rider amount where the only way you can get that higher account balance is if you actually annuitize that policy. So if you want to roll it over to something into an IRA somewhere else, you generally have to do that with a much smaller account balance. Um, the last thing, sometimes it makes sense just to annuitize and start taking the income from it. So there's a whole bunch of different options there, but you want to make sure that when you make that decision, you're fully aware of how they all work and how they'll impact you. Um, and again, that's something that I, I talk through fairly re uh, frequently with, with uh, people I work with. And, and Harrison, what I'm hoping people are getting from this is that each situation is different. This is one thing a true financial planner does is kind of sit down and look at all the different avenues, what you can do with that annuity. Is there something better that can be done? What are you losing out by keeping that annuity? Uh, and, and you understand annuities quite well. I mean, you, you did start in the insurance industry, uh, but you have a very good knowledge of annuities. And I, yeah, I, I, I oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I did start, I've sold these things. So I, 
I understand how they work. I have learned the error in my ways of doing that, so I don't do it anymore. But um, yeah, I, I look at it and in all of these things, I think at some point in time, I've recommended every single one of these options. So it's not like we just find annuities and then we tell people to surrender and then, you know, invest it. It's well, sometimes it makes sense to do this. Sometimes it makes sense to do that. Um, so, you know, it, you really need an unbiased perspective when you're making a decision there. And I was going to say, I, I don't think we have time today, but I, the income rider is just one that just irritates the heck out of me. I mean, it's, you know, maybe maybe we can talk more about that on another show, but it, it's just, I, I call it funny money is what the income rider is. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good topic because it is it is very complicated, um, and that's really what people how people get sold these things is they hear oh it's going to grow at a certain percent per year and you get this upfront bonus and you get this income, but it doesn't exactly work that way. You have to read the fine print and you have to understand what your options are um, with that income provider. So yeah, it might be something we talk about uh, another day. Yeah, because it can be kind of complex and stuff, and and it, it is something that's sold a lot because it sounds so good when you only give the positives is not <laughs> tell people what's really going on. So, uh, yeah, maybe next week we'll talk about that and give people uh, a look behind the curtain, so to speak, of what those income riders really are. So, Absolutely. That sounds like a plan to me. All right. Well, enjoy the water polo game, I think you said. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks, Harrison. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. I know why he's chuckling over there. Water polo is pretty intense. Well, it, but you only see, what, uh, 10% of the game? Because <laughs> you see the head sponsor. I, I remember my older sister played water polo. Hey, it's intense. Oh, it, it's, it's very intense. And I, and I remember uh, going to the games, and it was just like it was just I, – I, I still can't explain the rules of water polo. Uh, it's just, you know, three meters, five meters. Well, why didn't you shoot the ball? Well, it wasn't three meters. Well, what does that mean? You know, so – but uh, It's like hockey and lacrosse for me. They're, they're both interesting sports. I don't like watching because you can't see the puck. You can't see the ball. Like – you know, oh, yeah, I, you don't know where the ball is. It, it, same with water polo. I have a hard time like seeing what's going on. You well, know? you can see the ball because somebody's just <laughs> up there holding it, but you can't see what's going on underneath. And yeah. I, for my daughter, she said a lot of uh, the, the game is played <laughs> under the water of stuff that they're doing to try to not drown you, but <laughs> make it so you can't throw the ball. <laughs> so, but, um, all right, again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. Again, a great idea to uh, you get a free consultation with him. Uh, you can call the office, talk to him, or go to the website. Uh, he is on a salary. He does not charge commissions, does not sell insurance products. He's strictly a fee-based uh, planner. Uh, call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You'll see him there. You can send him an email. But uh, free consultation uh, to talk to him to find out, you know, if you have annuities, when. Get the true, true story on them. So, yeah. All right. As promised, uh, phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Art. Art, you're on the Smart Vessel. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, really enjoyed the discussion this morning. Got a lot out of that. Well, good. Thank you. Um, so I'm calling about uh, Colin Frost. CFR. It's a bank, I think, uh, centered out of Texas. I bought it about a year ago for, I think I'm in at 83, and just wondering if it's still a hold or time to move it. Yeah, let's take a look at that. I've never seen this before, so it's a regional bank is what it is. When I saw Colin Frost Bankers Incorporated, I thought this must be something to do with banks, which we kind of like in the finance industry right now. And you said you hold it, uh, Art? I do, yeah. I bought okay. it uh, probably about a year ago at $83 a share. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at our Colon Frost Bankers Incorporated, symbol as CFR. Uh, the P.E. ratio is kind of high compared to the industry. It's 17.2 versus 9.6. Price of sales are high as well, 5.3 versus 2.9. And price to book value is 1.9 versus 1.5. Uh, price of cash flow for uh, uh, Colon Frost Bankers is uh, 14.8, nothing for the industry. Now, you get a nice dividend, as usual, bankers. You get about a 2.7% dividend. They use 45% of their earnings to pay that out. Now, a little bit of disappointment here. We do see sales year over year were down 7%. The industry is only down 0.6, and earnings per share year over year for the last 12 months, well, they were only up 16.6, and I say only because the industry is up 83.5. So perhaps they didn't go through as much decline as the bankers did because it's more of a regional bank, but we'll check more of that as we go forward. Uh, they do have a different balance sheet, but uh, debt to equity is very good at 56.7 versus 313. Return on equity is 9.9 .9 versus 13. Uh, net profit margin, wow, 31.1, but the whole industry is at 30.5. So good profit margin for them and the industries. Uh, Chase, let's see what, what we have going forward for this company. Yeah, of course. So looking at the current price for Colon Frost Bankers, Inc., $110.90. 52-week high here, $125 a share. The low, though, $61.50. So done very well off the low, as, as many financial companies have. Now, if I go out to December 2022, a uh, little disappointed by this. The the estimated earnings per share, just $5.60. Gives us a target sell price of just $92.96, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Now, I did look it up. There are 15 analysts. I mean, market cap of this company, is, it's over $7 billion, so it's not like it's a tiny, tiny little bank. Never, I've never heard of it personally, but decently sized regional bank, 15 analysts. Um, the range is, is quite right, though. The the high is $7 and the low is $448. So, I mean, that, that's a pretty big spread. I, I'm wondering if that has something to do with interest rates climbing and, and how interest rate sensitive this bank is. I know like uh, they talk about Bank of America is pretty interest rate sensitive compared to some of the other larger players. I wonder if this bank is is kind of similar in that fashion where they they're going to be phased a lot more by the interest rate spread you know i was wondering how many analysts i see 15 analysts so and, and this is what we kind of do is we want we want to look at the analysts because they're looking deep into this and what could happen with this bank here is that uh, they may have other things that will not do as well when interest rates rise because and i did actually notice the two banks that we own in our portfolio yeah in 2022 the earnings are going down from 2021 but not down that much. So actually, uh, Art, I, I, I'd have to say you've made some good money on this company. It's around 110 now. Uh, there's no reason to hold it. doesn't mean it won't go up some more, but uh, it's fully valued. Uh, I'd say selling it out and try to find something at a better price. I, I kind of thought that's what you'd say, but uh, just wanted to confirm it with you. All right. Well, let us know how it works out. Hey, I will. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. You guys have a great day. You too, Art. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, that doesn't open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And, and Chase, I was a little bit surprised to see that yeah. on a bank, but I think we could start seeing more of this. And we do see a lot of companies overvalued, but more in the financial industry where perhaps more banks, insurance companies, financial companies could start hitting that peak to where they've had a nice run. Uh, to where maybe some will start becoming fully valued. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I know one of our bigger banks has actually moved from the buy category into the hold category because we like to have a 30% margin of safety before we buy it and just haven't been able to buy it in a while because it's about 20% away from its sell price.
And I like the regional banks, but the big benefit you get with the big money center banks is they do a lot of different things. And right now, I think they're doing very well. We talk about Goldman Sachs and these others because of the IPOs coming out and all the other money they can make off of Wall Street. If you're just a regional bank, you're probably just doing, you know, home loans, car loans. Uh, you've kind of peaked out. Uh, that's why it's kind of nice to have the big money, money center banks to have other businesses in there as well. And I, yeah. and I saw that's going to be... Uh, they're predicting that that's going to be still very big over the next year or so for money center banks. A lot more IPOs coming out, the market out, activity, market activity, mergers and acquisitions. Yes, that's and that was a big one there as well. So that's something that you kind of look at when you hold the company. Uh, but there was a great time, and I think uh, Art probably hit it pretty good buying around eighty-five to buy the regional banks. And we'll see if somebody else calls in with a regional bank as well, because I'd be kind of curious if this is kind of true for all regional banks or just this one frost uh, colon frost bankers incorporated phone number is 866-577-2473 that's 866-577-2473 and these are things we talk about at our workshop which is coming up on thursday september 23rd at six in the evening uh, in scripps ranch we're going to talk about you know it's a great place to learn about the fundamentals of investing and the strategies that we use to find good value investments for our portfolio, learn how to make your hard-earned money work for you, and also to help build your wealth and get you to retirement, or if you're in retirement, make that retirement nice and comfortable for you. What you gotta do is attend the workshop. Again, it is Saturday, uh, not Saturday, Thursday, September 23rd, six o'clock in the evening in Scripps Ranch. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com or call the office 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Talk to Brianna. She'll get you signed up and look forward to seeing you on September 23rd, Thursday at six in the evening. So I was just thinking, you know, this isn't a paid promo for Yeti or anything, but I haven't <laughs> been able to drink my coffee because mm -hmm. it's still so hot. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it. I thought maybe you had vinegar in there or something. I started, like, take a sip. Like, oh, what was that face for? <laughs> Man, they can't see it on Facebook because you're kind of like this way. Like, I poured the coffee about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> and it's still that hot, huh? Yeah. yeah. I had to take the lid off to cool it down. <laughs> wow, yeah. That's what you're doing over there, I thought. Because normally you just drink water. So. <laughs> yeah. No, hot, hot coffee. So, uh, yeah. Well, Yeti is very popular. I, I wonder who owns Yeti. Um, Actually, they, they're... they're Individually owned, I think they became a public company last year. Really, I believe so. Let me. I mean that that would be a, a company. And I will say, and we're just kind of talking. Oh, yeah, I just got the one minute sign. But um, the problem with a Yeti product is they have a great start and so forth, but there's no moat around it. I mean, what prevents you from creating the same type of cup that keeps your coffee hot for over an hour? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, an insulated cup, basically. Insulated cup, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. yeah, it's Yeti Holdings. It, it's actually done pretty well. I think it IPO'd last year, year before. It's pretty recent, but the low is forty three, the high is one hundred five. Current price is ninety nine. So, right. but it trades. Gosh, I mean, estimated earnings are about three dollars a share. So, it trades I was going to say we'll look at it afterwards. We're going to get it all uh -oh. now, but we only got about thirty seconds left. I do so. We got John and Cody Macy. He's going to come up after the break. Thirty four times forward earnings is what it trades at. Well, I guess we want to look at it now because yeah. you just told <laughs> so, Phone numbers you want to call me oh, too. I see what <laughs> 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. As always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attack, attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And it won't be Yeti because you gave all the details already pretty much. So uh, you all listen to Smart Investor with Brent Chase. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this quick break. 
already. Wow, we're back already. I, I don't think that was even 30 seconds. What do you think? Oh, it's quick. There it goes by very quick. I didn't even have time to drink my coffee. That's, well, it's too hot. Is it, is it cooled off? Did it cool it off yet? I don't know. Let's see. can sip it barely, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. Yeah. I didn't know you were gonna wait for me. Yeah, I was waiting for you. I was like, you know, it's, it's that that uh, anticipation, the excitement, just waiting to hear. Is the coffee too hot? <laughs> All right, phone numbers here: eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's go to Cooney Mesa and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Vegetable Run. Chase, how can we help you? Hey, good morning. Checking in on Moderna stock. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, interesting. Yeah, we've not got to call Moderna for quite a while. Uh, do you hold that, John, or looking at buying it? Well, no. Uh, middle of last year, middle of COVID, I put in 15K, and now it's worth almost 90. Mm-hmm. So questioning, do sell or do we just ride it out? Yeah, well, look, let's look at the numbers and kind of talk about uh, somewhat because uh, obviously they're big on the uh, vaccine for the COVID uh, virus. Uh, Moderna yeah. Incorporated, symbol is MRNA. Now, right off the bat, we got a very high PE of 56.9 versus not material for the industry. Price to sales, 26.2 versus 10.7. Price to book value, 27.5 versus 12.7. And price to uh, uh, cash flow, 51.2 uh, that's high, but so is the industry at 404. Now, they do not pay a dividend. And here's the big thing to kind of be happy about, but worried about. Year-over-year year, revenue growth was 6,532 versus 38 for the industry. Year-over-year year, earnings per share growth over the last 12 months, 672 versus 44. Uh, you got to kind of wonder, like, well, wait a minute. How are they going <laughs> to do that again over the next 12 months? Uh, will, will we have another virus? Gosh, I, I hope not. Uh, but will they be able to duplicate that going forward? I, I don't believe so. I, I, I do like the balance sheet, though, for Moderna. They got a current ratio of 1.2 versus 3.5. That is low, but okay. But debt to equity is only 7.3 versus 39.2. Uh, return to equity is very high, 72 versus a negative 9.8 for the industry. Their profit margin kind of makes you wonder, like, who's making all the money on these uh, these vaccines? It's 49.8 versus negative 13.2. Maybe we know who's making all the money on it. Uh, receivable turnover is 6.8 versus 5. Chase, what about the numbers going forward for Moderna? And I will say I do not have a problem with Moderna making that kind of money off that because they, they did a great job turning that around so quickly and the amount of R&D that went into that, that particular vaccine. I mean, a lot of people, oh, it's not fair. I, I, think, I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, and I want to talk more about that. I want to give the numbers on Moderna, but I do want to talk more about that because okay. it wasn't just them that put all that money in. Uh, absolutely. But uh, current price here for Moderna, $449.38. 52-week high, $497.49. And the 52-week low, I mean, as you said there, John, done very well. As a low, $57.45. Now, I look forward to December 2022, and I got a couple of things here, but I'm going to give this number here first. 2022 estimated earnings, $27.17, gives you a target sell price of $451.02, so right about that current price. But gosh, I just have a ton of concerns around these numbers. I mean, if you look at 2020, the company lost $1.96. If there was no COVID, I don't know where this company would be. I mean, they obviously would not be making $29, $27 a share. But the thing that concerns me is 
uh, again, about more than half the country now is vaccinated. What is going to be their kind of encore, mm-hmm. so to speak? What's going to keep that that stabilization of the earnings? And a lot of analysts, in fact, you look out to 2023, estimated earnings per share, $11.57. I go out one year further, 2024, and, and don't get me wrong, there's there's less analysts out there, but still about six, which gives you kind of a, a good number, $4.27. I don't know what this company is going to be able to do to kind of generate the same type of income that they've been able to generate uh, just from the, these COVID vaccinations. What else do they have in the pipeline? The other thing is there was kind of a fast track with warp speed to allow them to get this vaccine out much, much quicker. If they don't have anything else that's close in the pipeline, what are they going to be able to sell? And they've talked about, I know they're they're kind of like a combo uh, flu COVID vaccine that I, I believe is in the process of being confirmed, mm-hmm. but I, I, it's not going to, in my opinion, have the same income that we've seen from these vaccines currently. And, and one thing I was thinking too is like, okay, well, they're making all this money. How much are they putting back into research and development? Because that's what they have to do here, uh, John. They got to come up with some other product that's going to do well. Well, they have increased it a year ago. Their oh. R&D for the quarter was $151 million. They've increased it to $421 million, but I... I that we have drug companies putting in billions of dollars, not hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I don't know if they'll come up with something else. And again, the analysts don't believe so, as Chase explained, the earnings going downward. So the stock could go higher as, as news. You know, t- they talk about it. Uh, we do seem to, to see that the trend is going down again for the Delta variant. Will it increase in December, January again? I mean, who knows? But I, I, I would say this stock has to be somewhere around the top because there's no encore left. There's nothing else they can do. I mean, unless you want to keep extending this COVID-19 situation, which they made a lot of yeah. money off of. So uh, I, I, I would, you know, congratulations on buying it when you did. Uh, don't know if the stock's going to go higher or not, but there is a time to take a profit and say, you know what, I did well, uh, sell it, uh, try to take that money, invest it in some other good companies to have them grow as well. Yes, I do want to say yeah, here. That, that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to say here as well. I mean, I always like to look at kind of market cap and, and kind of compare it to, to other companies in the industry. I mean, Moderna right now has a market cap of $181 billion. That is a huge company. Oh, yeah. Um, you compare that to Pfizer. Pfizer is about $250 billion. Right. There's about a $70 billion differential there. But the thing is, Pfizer has a huge pipeline of other oh, drugs. Gross. And the COVID vaccine hasn't really impacted their overall business very much like it's impacted Moderna this way. Right. And you look at Pfizer, they do about $60 billion in sales. Again, in 2023, this company's estimated Moderna just $10 billion. Yeah. So huh. I, I don't think that Moderna should be in the same boat right. as Pfizer. And I don't see how Moderna can grow its stock price much further and, and really justify that growth. Right. And, and, and you could see, uh, John, down the road, we'll say a year or two, it'd be very possible. I'd not be surprised if nothing else comes out. This company's trading at 50 maybe $60 a share because they just had nothing else. And COVID, we got over it. People got vaccinated. I know they're trying to do the boosters, but even that is, you know, not going to give them a lot of money. So, yep. but, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I got to say, and I know it's tough to sell. You're probably going to pay some taxes on it and so forth. Uh, how close are you to holding it for 12 months? Oh, no problem. No problem. Passed it. Okay. Passed it. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, you're going to pay about a 20% capital gains rate on it. Um, I, 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 sure. I just can't see the point of holding this. Uh, not to say it won't go higher. No one knows for sure. But as a business goes, there's no reason why they'll go higher unless they come out with some, 
I don't know, cure for cancer or something, which I don't think they're working on. But yeah. it's just, you know, based, huh. based on the information, it is time to sell. All righty. All right. Well, hey, thanks for the insight, fellas. Okay, John, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, take care. All right, that is open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, when I, I, I want to kind of come back when he talked about, uh, before we got Nancy here uh, on the subject, uh, go back to about how we don't have problem with drug companies getting paid these big profits because they put a lot into research and development to find those. One thing different with this COVID-19 vaccine is all the drug companies who are combining their information. So I, it kind of makes it difficult for them to do that. And actually who's paying for this, um, it's it's kind of a different situation. And, and I we like drug companies, that, yeah, because if you spend $2 billion to you know do a drug and come out with it, then yeah, you should be compensated for that. A little bit different with COVID-19 because all the drug companies are spending, I think it was like hundreds of billions of dollars they're all spending and sharing their information to get it quicker. That's how we got it so quickly. They weren't saying, okay, well, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you, because that would take years. But when they share the information and the supercomputers we have, that's how they got to it. So, you know. I don't, I, one thing I, I am going to kind of disagree with slightly is mm-hmm. I, I know what you're saying with the sharing there, but mRNA is the way that this vaccine was actually created. Mm-hmm. Moderna kind of was revolutionary in that mRNA, and Pfizer was the other one, and those were the two vaccine makers that actually came out with the mRNA. Right. You saw Johnson & Johnson, which was not mRNA, and there's nobody really talks about Johnson & Johnson's I, vaccine I think it has anymore. like a 75% success rate. So it seems like the mRNA yeah. was far more successful, and it, it, that's why I, I do think Moderna right. does kind of deserve that, that profit margin. And, and the other thing is, right. they have a huge profit margin right now. They won't But grow. come come yeah. come back in three years, I, I, I can almost guarantee their profit margin right. won't because now they're going to be putting more money in research and development. Those are going to be outgoing costs, and they're not going to have the revenue coming in that they see currently. Their profit margin is going to decline. That's the thing that people don't understand with drug companies. They put all this money into research and development. Mm-hmm. If they don't have drugs that hit, yeah, they have a 50% profit margin right now, but that profit margin can turn negative very, right. very quickly. Right. And, and, and the thing to talk about the mRNA, well, what if they, because they're getting the other information from Johnson Johnson so far saying, that's not working very well. Look at what we're, you know, so it, and again, I like companies to make profits. Don't, don't get me wrong on that, but I, I, I do kind of hate to see people kind of profit off of things beyond what they should. Gosh, I sound like a socialist. What am I doing? I, yeah, I, I think we, I'm shocked. I, I yeah. completely disagree here. Yeah, I, and, and I'm just trying to kind of work through this, uh, you know, speaking out loud here. Um, but it, it just, I was kind of surprised on a 64% profit margin. But as an investor, it's important to realize that's not going to stay that high. And that's, I, I think that's more important. Go back and look at their income statement. Mm-hmm. They've got Nancy waiting here, though. I know. They're, <laughs> they're bleeding cash flow. They're bleeding earnings in the past. They had very little sales in 2019, right. 2018. Right. So it's not like they had profit margins of 60% for five years. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think their profit margin will be 60% for one, two years, and then it's going to be much, much lower. I mean, analysts have them at negative earnings when I looked at these numbers going forward. Right. right. So, I mean, it, it's a flash in the pan in terms of that profit margin. Right. Well, I turned 65 a couple months ago or a month ago. Maybe I'm I'm becoming a socialist. I don't know. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> That'll never happen. All right, phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And I, and I just was kind of focusing on the profit margin, too, as the investor. I, that's why people know that. No, I'm, I I'm still am an entrepreneur and yeah. still like a capitalist society. Uh, let's go out to uh, San Diego and speak with Nancy. Nancy, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hi, um, I am just, uh, I, I, I just t- tuned into your program and interesting, everything's interesting. You. you know, we have a TSP account. I don't know if you can advise on that. Um, at one point in time when the market was really um, low, mm-hmm. or water slow, I would say, um, I, I don't know how to operate these things, but I had an inkling to just keep everything in the government securities. Mm-hmm. And then when things were going up, I decided to go ahead and um, start spreading them out. So I did some on fixed income index. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then I did some on common stock index mm-hmm. and then some on some on uh, international stock and then some on small cap. Yeah. And so, it- and, and one thing that you kind of have here, Nancy, is that um, you have a situation to where I think you have about five or six different choices. No, they've increased it because they now have target date funds in there. Oh, okay. So they've increased that. Well, and, and if you're earlier in the show, we definitely don't want you to do the target date funds. Um, yes, thank and, you for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and what you have to realize um, is that, okay, so if I do the government securities, if I do the fixed income, if you heard earlier in the show, we talked about rates going up. Those two are not yeah. going to do very well because rates go up, bonds go down. Um, Chase, what are you looking at? Okay. I do believe there's one. one that they because there, there's the, I think there's the G fund and the F fund, and I I think that the G yes. fund is like the G fund's almost like a money market, where the F that fund is the bond, right? Fund. Okay. Yeah, and and how you can tell Nancy um, is by the the yield because if the yield is like right now uh, 0.5, 0.6, that's probably some type of money fund. You're not going to have the decline in, in principal if rates go up. But if you see the yield is, I'll say, even a 1% to 2% yield, there's probably bonds in there that could get hurt when rates go up, bonds go down. Are you, are you getting something on Chase over there? Yeah, I do have the G fund pulled up. Okay. And, and the G fund is um, the money market. I mean, it's completely protected from loss. So uh, okay. that's your cash count. I mean, but you look at the 10-year return, it's 2%. So, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's not very strong. The year-to-date returns, 0.9%. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's kind of like your cash equivalent fund. If you if you want to go all to cash, you would put it in the G fund. Yeah. That, that's kind of what that one. The F fund is the fixed income fund, which we would highly recommend against. And I was going to ask you, Nancy, are you still currently employed where you're... Yeah. Okay, so you are still currently... Yeah, so you're, you're still limited to that then. But, um, yeah, it, it's tough because you, you only have, as Brent said, Five real options at yeah. the end of the day. And the stock option is the index one, I believe. Yeah. And, and the problem that we talked about earlier is that the index we think is over-concentrated about five companies. Normally, what we do for our clients that have a 401k at work, we'll kind of look for a good stock fund and say, well, right now we know things are high. Maybe put 70% in these the equity side, keep 30% in cash for the pullback that will happen You know, someday, so we can buy a little bit lower. But with your situation, it's kind of hard because you got the index fund, um, I'm, I'm kind of uh, off the top of my head, kind of stuck on, on trying to help you out here. What to do? How, how close are you to retirement, Nancy? Uh, well, started late, 
So maybe in about three, four years, okay. uh, 60, 62 started made in the federal, but, um, you know, okay. had some emergency, so there's not a whole lot in it, but so we're just trying to make it work and, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, maximize whatever we can. You know, one thing I'm thinking, because you, 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 you've got to keep your money there, is this is when you want to go to a good financial planner that is not trying to be biased to try to talk about things. And, and you're now, you said about three to four years away from retirement. This is when you start looking at, well, what do I have to do and so forth. So I would recommend, uh, if you want, to call our financial planner uh, for a free consultation at the office, because that's something that could kind of help you out as well, because you can't invest that money yet. You're kind of stuck with those options but a good financial planner can say, okay, well, this is what you need to do. And maybe, just maybe, he can say, you know what, Nancy? You can retire in two and a half years. You don't have to wait that long, maybe. So you never know. Okay, yeah, because there's not a whole lot in there. But, you know, we, like I said, we just want to see how to build it. And then I'm concerned because I see the market going down because I would check it. And it's yep. like, oh, no, should I move it? Should I get it out? Where should I put it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I'll give you the phone number if you want to for, for our office. You can call our financial planner, Harrison Johnson, speak to him a little bit uh, because you are close Johnson? to retirement. So okay. it's 858-546-1111. Uh, okay. Okay. And, and again, his name is Harrison, and he could be a good resource, I think, to see where you stand there. All ready? All right. Thank you so much. In the meantime, do I just leave it? I put certain percentages out on the uh, market, but should I just leave it the way the market's going now? Yeah, I would have to say leave it because, uh, and again, we don't know your whole situation, so it's kind of hard to give you a recommendation, you know, over the air, and that's why, you know, Harrison can kind of look at more things overall to see. Okay. And, and so we, we got your point in the right direction. It's going to take a little bit of time to get you the where you need to be. I, I hope this doesn't confuse well, the situation for you, Nancy. But, no, um, no, no. <laughs> I mean, when we look at TSPs for our clients, yeah. the, the two funds yeah. that we utilize are the C fund and the G fund. So, I mean, what kind of those mm -hmm. are the two that we like. Um, and, you know, continue to listen to the, the show. I know you said you just kind of picked it up, and, and hopefully that kind of continues to help educate you in different things. But kind of to give you a little bit of a tip is we generally like to use the C fund and the G fund because we talked about not liking the F fund for fixed income. We don't like the international stocks for a variety of reasons. And small caps okay. can be quite risky as well. So generally in the TSP, okay. it's the T, uh, C fund and G fund that we like. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, Good Nancy. Help. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Okay. Don't be a stranger. You too. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. You know, just talking to uh, Nancy about the, the C fund there, I was just curious what the, the biggest companies are now in the S&P 500. Right. And, and we know about the big ones, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook. Those right. are your big five. Um, any idea what number six is now? Mm, no. Sorry, Brendan. Tesla. <laughs> That's right. Followed by NVIDIA. Ooh, you know, that, that tells me there's a lot of risk in that index because now you got, what's that, seven companies now. How much do they account for the S&P? Now we're at like 30, 35%. Because NVIDIA and Tesla are now each 1.5%. So wow. there's 3% of the entire index combined. I mean, you're looking at, yeah, I I'll do some quick math here and get back to you on that. Yeah, I didn't do that. Let's let's take another call here. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 
877-247-2473. Let's go to Poway and speak with Murray. Murray, you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Yeah, great, great. Yeah, I listen to your show on and off when I'm driving around town, and uh, I caught it this morning, and, you know, and I, I guess I've been, uh, you know, uh, looking to to see if it's, if i in a position to retire. Mm-hmm. And, and recently, uh, looking at my pension, and, and, it, and I ran some numbers with the financial tools that that are offered with my company and it, and it was showing that, Hey, I could retire here in a, in a couple of years, but I, I'm looking for some, some other opinions, some other folks, other professionals to help me with that. And so uh, called your show to, to get some more information to understand, you know, what, what, what's the steps, you know, I'm, I'm starting to investigate this because I got excited that, Hey, retirement could be a couple of years away. Right. It's exciting. It's like, wow, I don't, yeah. I don't like, have um, to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife's going, Hey, settle down. You know? <laughs> I mean, and, and that's one thing that we do at, at our firm, Wilson Asset Management. We do sit down yeah. with people, kind of look at what you have and so forth, <laughs> um, depending on, on where you stand. And we just talked with Nancy about talking to our financial planner because our financial planner, he's on a salary. He's not trying to sell you annuities or anything else. Um, that's another good step. And and, and the tools right. that you have with your company are, are good basic tools, but he goes even beyond that. And he's actually found other things that maybe those tools don't bring in for you. So many times it's a, it's a joint meeting where we kind of sit down, look at your investments with you and so forth. Then you meet with our financial planner. He actually looks at the whole picture, uh, looks at the social security that you could get, all, you know, Medicare, all these different factors to put together. So that's the next step when people hear us on the show and then they like, yeah, I, I think when I sit down with Brent Chase and get another opinion, uh, I can uh-huh. give you the phone number. I just gave it to uh, Nancy. I can give it to you as well. And, you know, give us sure. a call and uh, come in. We'll sit down with you. Yeah, that, that would be great. Okay, it's a eight five eight five four six four three oh six. Great. Where are you guys located at? We're located right in Scripps Ranch, uh, right off of uh, oh. fifteen. It used to be the old Geico building. Do you know what that building is? Sure. Yeah, that's where we're at. We're on the first floor. You walk in the front door, and you'll see the Wilson of Management right across the lobby, not too far from Poway. That's right. Right, right. Yeah, I've been calling around, you know, interviewing different folks and just trying to understand the services that people offer. I, I'm just looking for, I think right now, just some financial planning and, and just saying, yeah, you, here's your roadmap. Here's, you know, what you need to do. Here's what, you know, the left, what what are the things I need to still do, you know, in order to make this happen? Yeah. And we might have you talk to our financial planner, Harrison, first. Because I, I again, think absolutely. Because yeah, you're about two years away. So you're trying to say, when can I retire? Um, right. and, and that's usually when the financial planner, good financial planner comes into play. So, um, I think we, you'd really enjoy a conversation with Harrison. Yeah. 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 So, okay. That sounds awesome. And also too, if you, um, for whatever reason, forget the phone number, you can also contact us at our website, which is smartinvesting2000.com. There's a little sure. contact us. So whichever method of a contact you prefer, um, yeah. know, we'll be on the lookout and, then, uh, definitely set you up with Harrison there. And if you can't find it, then you know we'll be here next week. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Call again. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate it. Okay, Murray. Look forward to meeting you. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line 866 577 2473. That's 866 
877-247-2473. And I do want to talk about, again, the workshop coming up on Thursday, September 23rd at uh, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Uh, we'll be talking about all the different things we do, how we've been managing money. I've been doing this for over 40 years. How have we done this? How have I grown my portfolio from nothing to almost, well, uh, almost $500 million dollars? Uh, for my clients uh, in, in our, our company. And I want to just make sure since we're... Sure. Subject, not your portfolio, the, oh, yeah. our Wilsey Asset Management portfolio. <laughs> I, I would like to say if my portfolio yeah. myself was $500 million, I would be. like to still be here, but I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's combined with one yeah. of our clients is what it is. So thanks for pointing that out. But uh, how, we, how we do that, how we manage money, what we do, and all the things... The mistakes that maybe you've made over the years so you don't make them again we we, we bring that as well it's a free workshop uh lasts about an hour and 15 minutes or so you'll learn a lot during that time frame but what you got to do you got to show up go to our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com or call the office 858-546-4306 that's 858-546 4306 talk to brianna we'll get you signed up and we'll see you uh, on September 23rd, Thursday, 6 o'clock. Come up so, quick. Yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of those, and I, I still love doing them. It's a lot of fun doing those. I know. So. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. Yeah. I do want to, before we go to the call, sure. I said I was going to pull up that information for oh, yeah, you. yeah, So the top seven companies, most of the time we're talking about the top five, but now those other two, NVIDIA and Tesla, are pretty prominent in the index. So the top seven occupy about 26% of the mm -hmm. entire S&P 500. That's not as much as I thought it would be. It's still a pretty big, big amount. And the, the problem that we see is those uh, are very pricey companies, um, which I guess that's going to happen when you have that. You, you become so overpriced, you will take more of a, the amount. Don't want you to do it now, but uh, maybe we can do a post on it or something. I wonder what the top 10 companies make up and who the top 10 companies are. Yeah, so, uh, I have that. But oh, you have that right there. <laughs> well, actually, it's the top nine because Google's on here twice, so I count them as oh, one. Oh, A the, and B, sure. Yeah. yeah. But Berkshire and J.P. Morgan are the, the next Two big ones. See now, now, now you're getting into a more reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what Berkshire trades at. I, we know J.P. Morgan's a bank, probably trades around. We're going to say probably I don't know 13, 14. 13, 14. So that's reasonable. So, um, but the first seven are, are pretty difficult. Well, uh, they, I, they all trade in excess of, I think, thirty times forward earnings. Right. And, and actually, you said uh, also in the top ten is Google twice. So that means I counted, but I just counted Google as one and I added that. Okay, okay, so you did do that then. Okay, good. All righty. Our phone number is 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. And Chase, I know the NASDAQ is bigger, <laughs> but I'm just wondering what concentration that has. It's worse. Is it worse? I believe it is way yeah. worse. Yeah. And that's like, I wanted to say the top 10, and, and I this is going off memory, so it, it's. <laughs> Uh, could be false, but it, last year, uh, we'll definitely have to look at it. I think last year, like the top 10 was like 60% or something crazy. I mean, it was really? insane. And I forget how many companies are in the NASDAQ. I, I I thought it was more. Maybe it's, no, I think it's a, only 100 companies in the NASDAQ, I'm thinking. I think so. I think I think that's what it is. Uh, not 500, but 100. So therefore, it's a very concentrated portfolio. And, and we actually, in our, in our firm, we run a concentrated portfolio, but it's very balanced on the type of companies what we buy. Where the indexes, that's the problem with the indexes, as they grow, they kind of feed themselves until eventually it becomes way out of whack. So Here you go. I'm, I'm going to get some numbers. Yeah, I, sure. I yeah, pause yeah. this to our calls here. But uh, Jim, just be, be patient with us real quick. So components of the NASDAQ 100. Apple, 11.2%. Mm. Microsoft, 10%. Amazon, 
7.8%. Alphabet, combined two companies, 7%. Facebook, 4%. Tesla, 4%. NVIDIA, about 4%. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, that the, the, the NASDAQ could take a hit of 30, maybe even 40% if, if, you know, things drop uh, on those companies. And, and that would be, and that, I saw the same thing happen back um, in 2008. I mean, the, the, it was so excited about the NASDAQ and it, gosh, I think it dropped 50, maybe even 60% back then. It was a big drop because it is concentrated and it's a market cap weighted. So as those, as they go up, they become more of the index which means when it falls, it's going to hurt the index more. So it, it, it'll be very interesting to see. And, and a lot of these people that are investing now don't understand this. And they just say, oh, you know, just buy Tesla, buy this and so forth. And and they, and they are. They're, they're great companies. I'm not going to say Tesla's a, a bad company, but you've got to be careful what you pay for any type of asset, any type of investment. So I was a little off, but what? pretty close. Top 10, 55%. 55%. So if those 10 take a good size hit and that's why the nasdaq is much more volatile and people right now just see it going up like oh i've been the nasdaq and 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 they think they're diversified because there's 100 companies yeah but and it's all tech all tech yep Alrighty, uh let's head out to or up to san marcos and speak with phil phil you're on the smart smart investor show brent chase how can we help you hey guys how you doing good how you doing Hey, good. Um, I've been um, seeing the market kind of creep down, and I I actually look at it, look at it as great buying opportunities. Mm-hmm. And there's a medical company out there called ABBV. They're probably now trading at 15% lower than their 52-week high. Mm-hmm. I've been following them ever since they bought out this company called Soliton. I was curious on your input. And I actually was setting a target buy price at around a hundred and five, a hundred and six, and was curious on the numbers from you guys. And when you say you you set that target buy price around a hundred, hundred and five, how'd you come up with that target buy price? One oh, actually one oh five. Um, I kind of look at it as just a dip from th- their most recent dip, which is I, I think in the target range of seven to ten percent, mm-hmm. and uh, from a fifty-two week dip of about oh god i think it's around 16 percent. so when i start seeing significant dip in short periods of time is when i look for the the uh buy opportunities nothing from a ratio or scientific format more okay. instinctual than anything else okay yeah because we actually had a workshop we do have a we actually show people how we come over with that so i was wondering if you had been in a workshop or you had something else but um what's that Okay. All righty. So, so let's go to uh, look at AVI uh, Incorporated Symbols, ABBV. Uh, we do see a start here of 28.7 on the PE ratio versus not material for the industry. Price to sales, 3.5 versus 10.7. Price to book value, not material versus 12.7 for the industry, which means if we take away all the intangible assets, there is no equity or value to the business. And lastly, price of cash looks good at 12.2 versus 404 for the industry. Now, what's nice about AVI is you get a nice dividend at 4.9%. However, currently, they are using 137% of their earnings to pay that out. So you got to kind of ask yourself, well, wait a minute, how can they sustain that? Uh, you got to understand that before you do invest in the company. We do see sales. They are up 48.3% above the industry at 385 That's positive. However, Earnings are down 18.3% year over year for the last 12 months. 
industry up 44.8. So you want to know, well, how did the how did the uh, sales go up so much and how the units go down? Want to understand the answer to that question. Don't like the balance sheet here, though, Phil. I see that the current ratio is 0.9 versus 3.5. That's okay. But debt to equity, 653 versus 39. Now, I think you mentioned they just acquired somebody. Did they take on a lot of debt for that? That can be a big problem. Is their equity very low? You want to understand why their debt to equity is 653 because that could be a very dangerous position uh, to be in. We do see return to equity, though, is very high, 48.4 versus a negative 9.7. Net profit margin, 12.4 versus a negative 13.2. And receivable turnover is 5.9 versus 5. And inventory turnover, 5 versus 2.2. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? As yeah, so a current price here for AbbVie, $106.68. 52 week high, well, that's $121.53. And 52 week low, $79.11. Now, if I go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $13.97. Gives us a very nice target sell price of $231.90. But the thing that's always concerned me with Abby, and I, I, I'm never taking the time to understand it, um, just because it, it just doesn't fit what we do, is number one, the balance sheet. And number mm -hmm. two, there's always just been this massive discrepancy between the non-GAAP and the GAAP numbers. I mean, I, I look at 2020, and this is why their payout ratio is so, so bad is their, their non-GAAP earnings were $10.56. Well, that sounds pretty good. But their GAAP earnings were $2.72. I mean, that's a huge difference. Yeah. I go out to December 2022, I see thirteen ninety seven as I said, for non-GAAP, but GAAP's just $8.44. Much better than the two seventy two, of course, but still a huge difference from the thirteen ninety seven. I don't know why they they have this discrepancy as a, uh, a biotech company. What are they backing out? I mean, I know a lot of times... Energy companies, I say, well, they might back out the mark to market in terms of the oil inventories. Okay, that makes some sense because it's not necessarily impacting your cash flows that way. We had another company that had a lot of, um, you know, like foreign currency reserves, right. essentially. <clears throat> they had to take a mark to market there. It wasn't impacting their cash flows, but it was having an impact on the write downs of the, the balance sheet. I've, I've never understood why Avi has such a big differential from the non-GAAP to the GAAP numbers. And, and that's why I look. I mean, it's, it's been that way. See, back in 2020, uh, the pre-exempt was at $10.56, mm -hmm. $10 GAAP 272 Even going all the way up to 2025, it constantly stays that way. So something's yep. gone with this company. And before I would invest into it, I would want to know what it is. We, we just looked at a couple of weeks ago, a company I got very excited about. Everything looked great on it. After spending hours and hours of research, we discovered a very strange thing on the accounting for the revenue. And we said, no, we're not going to buy that because that's something that could be a problem. Same thing could happen here. There's something going on, Phil, that we can't see, but you probably have to find it in the 10Q, 10K. Maybe you might find it there. But it just is something that kind of worries us because why do they do that? What is going on? The accounting Our, differentials is really what scares us because yeah. if, if you're kind of in the dark on that, that can lead to big problems down the road. Hey, and also, too, in my 40 years of doing this, I've seen you know companies do it maybe once or twice. You know, something happened, currency or something. But this one, every single year, they're, they're sometimes as much as 50% difference from gap to, to pre-exempt. So that's the only thing that, well, again, the balance sheet, the balance sheet is, is the other problem, too. But it, it's just something that uh, and we have talked about, kind of looked at this company. We know what they do. They're a drug competitor company. But we just can't get comfortable with the numbers on it. Mm -hmm. All righty. Yeah, that balance sheet doesn't sound good. Um, can I just make a separate comment? And I know it's kind of the antithesis of what you guys do. Um, 
I saw another medical company literally drop like nine to 10 points from like 214 to 204. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great company. And when I tried to research why the drop happened, it's really some guy from Bank of America downgrading their stock. Personally, I think that's a massive uh, overreaction. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm feeling that's coming in and buying at 204, and it's going to slowly recover to 206, 207. I'd say next week and then immediately sell it. I know you guys are against that, but what do you think about when some analyst does that and there's such a massive play? I mean, that had nothing to do with their earnings, uh, any bad news coming out or negative press. Can you comment on like those types of overreactions? Yeah, I mean, that that happens continuously in the market and stuff, and it's part of history with what they do and I, I don't know why they do it but i guess it's they're just that's their opinion and so they're from bank of america so they put it out uh one thing that you do have to realize and that could just be a one-time thing uh one thing and, and again we do now own that company is one thing that we do realize that it's possible for some analysts to come out with the same silly thing but that's why we buy businesses for three to five years and we know that and we talk about this that when we buy it here, doesn't mean that's the absolute bottom. It can go down more and so forth, but will it be three to five years from now? That's what we're more concerned about. But it is craziness, and, we, and that's why we don't pay attention to it. We, we did see it, kind of laughed at it, like, well, nothing. I in- didn't want to bring it up that we're in on it together, but I still <laughs> think it's like I, I, I'm thinking of over-leveraging myself. I think it's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, I, but the, the hard part is, as Brent said, is if it comes out next week or there could be more more pressures just from the inflation concerns, it could dip down to, you know, I'm going to say 199, yeah. you know, 195. And that's why we look three to five years rather than over the next few weeks. And I, I agree. I think shorter term it should do very well because there's a, a flash in the pan. But you got to remember, you look at the average trading volume on normal market days, it's just 0.3% of those shares outstanding. High volatility days, probably like we saw with this particular mm-hmm. company, 0.6%. So if you get 0.6% of those shares, say, yeah, there's no no short-term catalyst. I, I'm going to sell out too. That's going to drive it down in the short term. And it's just 0.6% of those shares. But longer term, we're sitting there, okay, we'll, we'll take them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and, All right. Hey, I appreciate the input. Really do. Well, Phil, thanks for calling. You have a good one. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That does open up phone line 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Jay's that company, and again, people saying, what is the company? What is the company? We're not going to tell you. Yeah. Um, but again, it's a company that the growth going forward is just phenomenal. And the things that they're working on, phenomenal. And, and this is why, again, Warren Buffett said, uh, you know, in the short term, it's a, no, actually it was Benjamin Graham. Yeah. On the short term, the market is a voting machine. On the long term, a weighing, weighing machine. And that's why, you know, and we would love to, and we did actually talk in the office. Why should we wait till falls below 200? No, there's no justification for that. We did not know on Wednesday that on Friday, some B of A analyst was going to come out with that. But we said, no, we're getting a great business that's on sale here at a very good price. Get a sound div- dividend with it. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 uh, there's there's many times if you start guessing on things, yeah, you'll guess right sometimes, but sometimes you won't, and yep. it's just not worth it. And then you get 
then then what happens? You start building building up these these anxieties because you guess wrong, you guess wrong. Then you start making bad decisions because you miss things. Then you'll start overpaying for something because you don't want to miss it. So you got to stick to the, the the discipline there. Yep. So, all right, uh, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, Brent Chase. Hey, I have a question. I'm not really a gold bug, but this kind of intrigued me. Uh, a question about a company called uh, Anglo Gold Ashanti. And it was kind of a situation what you guys talked about where um, they had an accident, I think, in one of their mines, and the, the, the stock went from 22, I think, to about 16 or so right now. And, and they're still making, I think, quite quite a good profit. The P ratio is, is good. And I'm just curious what the numbers look like. Okay. Uh, well, let's take a look at uh, Anglo, Anglo Gold Estante. I guess the way you said it. Estante. Estante. Yeah. yeah. It's a South uh, South America company. And, and, and it is one thing, uh, Jim, that we like to look at because, again, you, you talked about an accident or something happened uh, in the mine. That generally is a short-term problem that's fixable. So it can make sense to do that. But I do want to warn people, when you do invest in a, uh, a gold company, the profits are important. Everything's else important, but that company will move based on the commodity in this case, which is gold. And also, a lot of these right. gold miners are in, I'm gonna say, less advantageous areas yeah. that can be really problematic right. in terms of you know theft and riots and you know just I mean they're in third world countries a lot of times. Corruption. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, all right. So let's let's take a look at Angle Gold Asante Limited. Symbol is AU. Uh, there is a great start. I mean, the P ratio is six point nine versus the industry at two twenty. Uh, price of sales one point five versus nine. Price to book value one point seven versus three point seven. And price of cash flow well that checks in at four point four versus thirty two. Now they do pay a dividend of three point four percent. Only use four percent of the earnings to pay that out. We do see sales year over year are up twenty point nine percent. That is above the industry at nineteen percent. Earnings per share did climb by 46%, but that's not as good as the industry growth of 153%. Look at the balance sheet. You got a current ratio of 2.4 versus 7 for the industry. Uh, debt to equity, 55 versus 45. So the balance sheet does look pretty good for Osti Gold. Uh, I was called Osti Gold. Cut off that middle one there. <laughs> uh, we do see that return equity is 27.1. That is far better than the industry at 1.8. Net profit margin, 21.4. That's very good for a company. Industry is only 4.1. And then receivable turnover is 16.9 versus 21. And then the inventory turnover of 4, just slightly under the industry at 4.1. And these efficiency ratios, you do want them higher than the industry. Chase, got anything going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Anglo Gold Ashanti, $15.29. 52-week high, well, that's $30.60. So, wow, I'm quite surprised it's taken that big of a hit. Uh, especially right now, it's 52 week low, 1524. Do you know how long ago that uh, accident was there, Jim? Yeah, I believe it was, oh, maybe I want to say like two months ago or so. Okay, well, yeah. Not I, that long ago. It seems like they're still having continued pressure from the accident or something else is going on with this company to be trading at that yeah, 52 week low. Yeah, I think they have, a, I think they have a, like they're, they're switching um, CEOs or something like that also. There's some news on it on Yahoo. Okay, okay, yeah, so it definitely. Sometimes it, it, of course, as you said, could create that buying opportunity. I mean, mm-hmm. down 50%. Uh, interesting. Uh, but I look out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $2.24. 
that would give us a target sell price of $37.18. I, I always give this kind of warning with the gold miners. Uh, Brenda already kind of <laughs> talked about it with the, the movements. But I, I mean, the, the earnings are just so cyclical. And that, that's where I have a hard time. I mean, look at 2019. They made just 91 cents. Then, you know, this year it's $1.71. Last year it was $2.31. 2019, $1.08. I mean, it, it's it's all over the place. You know, it, it goes up and it goes down. So the P.E. is going to fluctuate. And at times it's going to be overpriced and it's going to be underpriced based off that valuation. It, it's very hard to get a, I'm going to say, a consistent multiple, which makes it very hard to value these these mining companies. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think gold could go up. I mean, because, again, we talked about inflation earlier in the show. Generally, gold is a good inflation hedge, so that could benefit this company. But you just have to realize okay. the, the risk that you're taking with this. But, I mean, it's it's if you're a risky person, uh, you understand what's going on, I I think it could be a good time to get this company. And, again, we're only doing a five-minute you know analysis here. If we right. were to buy it, it would be like 15, 20 hours. Uh, but but I, I think it's worth the research. I'll put it that way. So. All right. Yeah, I, mean, I, I thought so, too. It's kind of one of those situations with the uh, – the continuing, you know, printing of more dollars and everything, also kind of little things are lining up, sort of in a in a sense. Okay. No, I definitely wouldn't put my whole uh, bet the farm on this one. No, no, it's, it's not bet the farm. Although you could become very wealthy if you were right, but we don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to mention something sure. too, if I may. Um, I think it was Nancy. She called. You know, a person can um, uh, roll over a portion of your TSP into uh, a rollover IRA. That's permitted they they um i think it's a very small minimum they ask that you if you want to keep your tsp open you can even do that after you retire you can keep your tsp and, and you don't it doesn't require that you have a, a giant uh, and, minimum and jim i know that uh individual companies can do that uh, the in-service distribution so you're saying the government now allows that that they can take out yeah with your tsp uh, oh. you, you can do that um, it, you know if it's a over i think you might have to be over 59 and a half there might be one caveat there but that's about it Okay. Well, well. thanks for that information. Appreciate it. Right. I'll check into that. You're welcome. Okay, Jim. Have thanks. a good one. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, I've not seen anything pop up on Facebook. Do we have any Facebook questions? No Facebook questions. Is Facebook working? Are we on oh. Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> one minute ago, first question. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> Robert says, late to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, held SYF Synchrony uh, January 2020. Yeah, I wrote it out through COVID, but it's my most volatile stock. The valuations look good, but they don't get the love like the other financials. I'm thinking about selling Synchrony Financial. And what was that symbol again? SYF. S-Y-F. Okay. And that was Robert on Facebook. So Yes. And, and I think Robert knows, but uh, for those that don't, if you missed a portion of the show, uh, you can always go to our website. Again, smartinvesting2000.com, and uh, you can listen to our, our show after it's done here. It's all podcasts. Or you, you, uh, I think they said something great last week. Go listen to last week's show. Yeah. Yeah. And if you tuned in for the, and you missed the first part, then again, go to smartinvesting 2000 Dot com Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com and listen to the show. And it, and it is kind of funny. I, had, uh, I was talking to one of our clients that really enjoys the show, and he said, well, I always like to kind of do it double speed, which kind of shocks me because we all both talk pretty fast, people right. say. He's like, that way it's you know not two hours, it's one hour. Right. And I can get through all the information, and if I hear something that is really good, then I'll slow it down and go right. back to it. So, you know, wait. it's kind of interesting to hear how people listen to it Does differently. Does that mean that sometimes we yeah, say wait. things that aren't important? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, well, let's take a look at uh, Synchrony Financial, symbols SYF. Good start here on the P.E. ratio, 8.5 versus 10. Price to sales looks good, 1.9 versus 2.4. Price to book value, 2.3 versus 3.3. And then price to cash flow checks in at 7.4 versus 9.5. Now, you do get a 1.9% dividend, and they only use 16% that needs to pay that out, which tells me perhaps they could increase that dividend with such a low payout ratio. We do see sales are down 14.9% year over year, industry up 4.8, earnings per share did climb by 71% year over year, but the whole industry was up 261. Now it is a financial company, so a little bit different balance sheet. However, debt to equity is 94.8, well below the industry at 198. Return to equity for Synchrony Financial is 26.6, slightly above the industry at 25.6. I like this profit margin, 23.2, same as the industry at 25.6. Chase, anything on the company going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Synchrony Financial, $47.32, 52-week high, $52.14, and the low is $24.20. If I go to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.45. I mean, it gives us a very, very attractive target sell price of $90.00. And 47 cents. So I, I'd agree there with you, Robert. It, it doesn't get the same love as the other money center banks and other financials. Very important to understand this is a different type of financial company. I mean, they they, they really just focus a lot on, I'm going to say, the financing of, of major mm -hmm. purchases with merchants and consumer branded credit cards and, and other credit cards as well. They do kind of have their own credit card. Um, so that's kind of the realm they live in. But I, I mean, it's a, a very profitable business. Um, I do know that they've kind of gone through difficulties in the past when they lose major suppliers, like they lost Walmart several years ago that tanked the stock. Last year, I think you saw so much volatility because people, oh, people aren't shopping anymore. So that really hit them quite, quite hard. And now there's other companies besides Singular Financial, but a lot of them have, uh, and I believe including Singular Financial, a lot of them do have like other things they're kind of working on, like, um, uh, like different payment systems mm -hmm. and, and, and being part of the new payment system so they now pay later there you go exactly and, it, and it's just like so they're they're innovative which could cause more fluctuation of the stock price but i think long term they're where they should be at and as long as you're not overpaying for this business uh, i think it's still a good business and and i do believe looking at a 16 percent payout ratio that we could see that dividend increase down the road that's pretty low because i know it was higher before on these companies and, and they still have to do the the stress test and everything else with the fed so they're they also have a, a huge buyback program, I know. Right. Um, so that's one thing is when they lost Walmart, they kind of sold some receivables. I know they have a, a great growth opportunity with Venmo is who they kind of partner with at PayPal. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they, they've got a lot of good things going for them. But, uh, you know, sometimes companies can be unloved for years. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is a great business. You yeah. Know? yeah. It goes up. So. Yeah. I don't know, Robert, depending on how much it makes of your portfolio, I'd say be patient with it. Yeah, I, I think the fundamentals look pretty good on it. All right, uh, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Before I go back to the calls, I want to mention again about the workshop coming up on Thursday evening, September 23rd. Uh, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. If you get kind of confused, you're not sure how your portfolio is doing, maybe it's been kind of lagging, you're kind of concerned about the high of the market, you're concerned about inflation, you just don't know what to do. Maybe your broker's not even calling you back. I don't know what it is, but you want some good, solid information about how to invest in fundamentals. 
That's what we talk about at the workshop. We show you how to invest. We show you things to be careful of, what not to do. We talk about all different things to make you a smarter investor. But the key is you got to show up. you got to sign up. you got to show up to the workshop. Again, it's going to be September 23rd, 6 o'clock. That's a Thursday. Go to the website to sign up, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Talk to Brianna. Uh, she'll get you signed up and look forward to seeing you on Thursday evening, September 23rd at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch, making you a smarter investor. All right, let's go uh, out to San Diego and speak with Richard. Richard, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you were talking about Moderna earlier, so I thought I'd ask about Pfizer. Oh, there you go. And we kind of mentioned Pfizer a little bit. Uh, do you hold that, Richard, or, or looking to buy it? No, I do hold it. And uh, the one good thing that happened last year is they spun off Viatris. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that was a nice little dividend, but the stock doesn't seem to have been as robust as Moderna. Yeah, well, and, and that's one thing that Chase did talk about when talking about Moderna. Moderna was really focused. That's pretty much all they had was the um, uh, COVID, uh, COVID uh, thing. With Pfizer, you get the benefit of having many different things. So they're more diversified, which means that the COVID effect would not be as big of a hit. Uh, since they have other things as well. So but let's look at the numbers for you on Pfizer Incorporated, symbol is PFE. Uh, a good start here, PE ratio 20.8 versus not material for the industry. Price of sales 4.6 below the industry at 10.7. Price to book value not material versus the industry at 12.7. Then price of cash flow 14.8. That's well below the industry at 404. Now you also get a very nice dividend from Pfizer at 3.4%. They use about 70% of their earnings to pay that out. Year-over-year, year, sales were up 36.1%, actually under the industry at 38.5%, and earnings per share only climbed by 20.4% when the industry was up 44.8%. They do have a nice balance sheet. you got a current ratio of 1.4 versus 3.5. Debt-to-equity 56, that's above the industry at 39, but I'm okay with that debt-to-equity of 56. Return on equity 18.5 versus a negative 9.7. Net profit margin checks in at 22.4 versus negative 13.2. And then receivable turnover, 5.6 versus 5. And inventory turnover, 1.6, not as good as the industry at 2.2. Chase, what about the earnings going forward for Pfizer? Fortunately, I just got the circle of death over here. It just won't load. You know, mine was very low, very slow loading in the beginning as well. I, I don't know if I can kind of catch it on you or not, but uh, I'll, I'll try mine as well. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it knows like, yeah, we only got five minutes left of the show. <laughs> so like, the computer's like, oh, I'm tired. You guys there we go. Time. I got you it. Got it? There okay, we go. Cool. Okay. So current price here for Pfizer, $45.59. 52-week high, that's $51.86. And the low, $32.80. Now, if we go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $3.59. That would give us a target sell price of $59.59. So, I mean, it, it still is <clears throat> undervalued. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it is an interesting business. It's, it's diversified. It has a, you know, other drugs. So it's not just going to be a COVID reliant, I'll call it, where right. if COVID dissipates, it's not going to crush this business. Yeah. And it's a much safer investment, we believe, than Moderna. And again, we, we told the other gentleman that Moderna is actually, we believe, overpriced. Time get out of it. Pfizer is a, a good company. It sounds like you took the right opportunity to buy it at a good price. Uh, you may be in this one for years. 
getting maybe, we'll guess, a 10, maybe a 15% return. You got a nice dividend. They probably increase the dividend. You'll see different things happen. It, it's a good long-term investment, but you won't ever see, in my opinion, like a 50%, 60% gain on it because they're just, they're diversified, which is safer. So, already. Which is good for an old guy like me. Thank you, guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to say you're an old guy, but it's, it's a good investment. <laughs> All right, Richard. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Um, well, God, I was going to say open up the phone line, but shoot, we only got like about three minutes left. Oh, two. He's kind of in there. Brandon's in there kind of. Brandon didn't join the show at all today. I meant two and a half, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> and weren't you going to talk about Montana State? No. Oh, no, oh, oh, no you didn't up, want okay? us to. Come I'm on. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we already brought up Tesla. Come on. <laughs> it was very brief. I was going to say it too with Pfizer. The nice yeah. thing is you, you get the dividend has increased substantially. So the stock price doesn't move a whole lot. But the nice thing is with that dividend increasing it. I'm going to be careful what I say here, but it's almost like a fixed income type deal mm -hmm. where you get a nice dividend, but the big benefit is you get an increasing dividend rather than a fixed interest rate coupon. Yep. Um, but I mean, because I look back to 2011, let's say it was at 20 cents. Now it's about 39 cents yep. each quarter. I mean, that, that, that's a, obviously a pretty substantial increase. So you just held the stock. Yeah, the stock price may not moved a whole lot, but that yield that you're getting on the stock has increased substantially. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. We talk about this at the the workshop as too. But with the dividends, they're such an important factor, and it doesn't make a big difference over a you know three month or six month. But when you're an investor, and and in reality, everybody's long term investing because you're really investing for your life. Because you don't just invest until you retire, because when you retire, hopefully you live another 20, 25 years and enjoy yeah. your retirement. Well, then you got to invest properly to make sure that you can have a good retirement. Mm -hmm. So you really are investing for your lifetime. And this is why our dividends can be very well. We, we, I don't have the numbers here off the top of my head, but we show people at the workshop these numbers on dividends. And they're just mind-boggling when you see what really happens longer term with dividends and you're really missing the boat if you say, ah, oh, it, it didn't move in the last six months or a year. Eh, you're missing something there. Yeah. It's so. a uh, very short-sighted position to take. Yep. Yep. And it's always great to have that little short-term hit on something, but you really, again, are planning and investing for the longer term, and you got to look at the companies that way. And while Moderna, again, I forget the gentleman's name, but congratulations on that big hit, but I do think Pfizer was probably the safer play uh, doing that. So. And that Pfizer's one I would hold for probably many years to come, Moderna's one that I would sell. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried for Moderna long-term. And, yeah. and the R&D, what I say, was $400 million for the quarter. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they could come up with something else. But it takes years yeah. to develop drugs. And, and then if you're going to do the research on it, look to see what stages. There's, what, three different stages on the drugs. Yeah. So one, two, and three. So, yeah. So <laughs> Not too complicated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, well, investing's complicated. No, no, no. No, it is. It is. <laughs> I was just saying that the naming system is <laughs> yeah. stage one, stage two, stage three. <laughs> All right, there's the closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for information purposes only and should not be used as an investment advice. If you'd like to discuss some more detail in your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information tips along with our uh, along with investment tips uh, go to our facebook page smart investing with brent chase we'll see today's show is sponsored in part by thompson reuters refinitive closing song frank sinatra's my way is performed by local entertainer roman palacios have a great day thanks for the smart investing show we'll be back next week
This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.